there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Second Chronicles chapter 15. It says in verse 1, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when their distress turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, Oxano. I don't know about you or your past experience, but I wonder how many of you have been a part of a movement before. And if you haven't, today's your lucky day. I want you to take a breath, just take one deep breath inside of your mask, please, and look around. You're in one. Over 2,000 years ago, the Lord ordained the paths of around 12 men to take to the earth the message of the gospel. And because of their faithfulness, you sit in a room, as do many others, once a week, if not more, to sit under the teaching of the gospel and to praise the Lord for what he's doing. In the midst of a movement, you see many people who are super faithful. And to be quite honest, what I see not only is a movement, and you all of a part of it, but... I see a vision that was cast a few years ago by, by Blake in a conversation that happened in his brand new office when he took the position here after I so diligently sat under his teaching at the church he was previously serving at and said, we got to have this guy. I agree, right? And because of the Lord, uh, just honestly, grace. He extended grace in such a way to give Blake the vision of, of what you're sitting and being a part of. And because of that, Blake, you've discipled so many people, including myself, that are in this room. And we're so thankful for that. And it was an, it's an honor to be here. But that is all beside the point. I want you to know that uh, one of the most refreshing things about already being in this room is, one, that I get to worship with a lot of like-minded people. But, two, I think we are understanding the point. The prayer that Blake read. What are we asking? We're asking God to intervene. It's that simple. God, would you intervene into the world that we are currently living in, in the midst of the depravity, in the midst of the the joy we find in the relationship we have with you, but in the sadness and the troublesome? Would you meet us where we're at, Lord, because, because who we are, Lord, we can't be with you. I want to talk about what that looks like. I want to talk about what God's intervention looks like in our life specifically today. But more importantly, I want to talk about what it means to seek the Lord. For him to do something that is unexplainable to us in our current circumstance. Charles Finney out of Rochester, New York in 1830. There's one point in his ministry where he saw a thousand people come to Christ in his city that only had 10,000 people. So you would identify this as a revival. He was lit and on fire, pumped up. But when he was asked about this revival, he gave the name of one, one man who was Abel Clary. And this is what he said about Mr. Clary. Mr. Clary continued as long as I did and did not leave until after I had left. He never appeared in public 
but he gave himself wholly to prayer. Many of you know this name, Billy Graham, the leader of amazing crusades and honestly the catalyst for what we know as evangelism today. In Los Angeles, California in 1949, an extended campaign resulted in what would be the start of a new phase of reaching people in the loss of the gospel. Graham said the only difference between the meeting in LA and all of the other crusades were the previous meetings, between the previous meetings was the amount of prayer that the team put into that one meeting. The only thing that was different. Charles Spurgeon said this, whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. He attributed the success of his sermons, not to his photogenic memory, not to his intellect, or honestly his powerful preaching as we know of him today, but to the prayers of an illiterate layman and a lay brother who sat on the pulpit steps pleading for the success of his sermons. There's a congruent theme in all of this. And it's your prayer life. It's, it's when we seek the Lord wholeheartedly in prayer. I want to uh, give you a couple of insights. USA Today put out this article that talked about the, basically the worst changes in the past decade. And I'm only going to name a few of them. One of the worst changes in the past decade was the so- social media addiction. According to Harvard, which showed the self-disclosure on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it fires up the same reward areas of the brain that taking an addictive substance does. Over the course of a decade, we saw an increase in opioid abuse. Overdoses are now the leading cause of injury-related death in the U.S. Every day, over 130 people die because of an overdose. Student loan crisis, I'm sure I could get an amen from some of you in here. It reached an all-time high of $1.4 trillion in the first quarter of 2019. This is an increase of 116% in 10 years. The average graduate student leaves school owing $35,000. Work culture is something we have to keep our eye on. In the past decade, it's it's gotten awful, right? Burnout is a a well-known phenomenon. Uh, This results in chronic work-related stress that has not been managed. Okay, let me put that to the side. That's what USA Today. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that it's a result because we substituted the God of the Bible for the God that's on our desk. That's really what the result is for. But in 2019, the World Health Organization classified this as a medical diagnosis. Burnout in your work, I mean, this, this gives way to lack of sleep, exhaustion, lack of motivation, forgetfulness, pessimism. All of those are symptoms of work culture. And then happiness was also listed. Happiness may frequently change depending on numerous factors, right? Your financial scenario, what's happening under the roof of your house, so on and so forth. But since 2016, it has been declining steadily. Depression depression rates are higher than ever. Daily stress is inevitable and employment rates may be up but the job quality is lowering. Students, you're entering into a world where we're substituting product for quality. We'll take what we can at the immediate time. But I want to note, I want to note something. There, as I was reading this article, I found something that was congruent and really, honestly, all mainstream media. And it was that we're going to offer you these problems and tell you what's wrong with the world, but I don't really have like a handlebar or an assistant to help you out with these. I don't really know what to say to backhand the, if you do these five steps, the key of successful life, you'll, you'll function in that work environment where it's doing nothing but producing the workaholics that are filled with stress and anxiety and depression. So here's my question for you this morning, or this morning. Wow, that tells you how I'm going. Here's my question for you for tonight. If we live in a life that we've dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, then why do we live in such a way that all of this is going to pan out in the end sometimes? You know, we sit passively. 
We trudge through these problems, but we never figure out what are the the assistance and the handlebars that we can grip onto and be dependent on to bring solutions to these issues. It brings us to this point. We are in desperate need of God to do the unexplainable. We are in desperate need of God to do the unexplainable. Now, what's the unexplainable? Well, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ because of the death and resurrection and the punishment that he took because of your sins, you understand what the explainable is. But you also understand what the unexplainable is. It's the salvific work that happened in your life when Christ entered. We're in need of that in the individual person, but also, as Blake prayed, in our current atmosphere, our culture, our world, our state, city, nation. We need the Lord to move. And I don't know about you, but as a student pastor, and I think this should be the case for all people, I know I share this passion with multiple people in this room, I have a dire desire for the next generation to understand what a movement of God is. You're included in that. My students are included in that. Our elementary age, the ones that are younger than elementary age, kindergarten, preschool. I have a desire for all of us to understand that what we have seen in the past in terms of what the Lord can do, I don't know if you know this, but he really is the same God, that it can happen now. But the difference is, is when we're receiving these problems, we don't seek the solution. If you would, just for a second, would you bow your heads in prayer as we continue in this message? God, I'm asking for something that, um, Lord, I do not deserve. That's the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room tonight. Lord, as we unpack your scripture and discuss what it means to seek you, God, I ask that your words would be through and through this message and not mine. Remove me out of the way, God. But I also ask for the piercing of hearts in this room. Lord, I seek for the Spirit to move in such a way that truth is revealed in a new and refreshing way in a way that wakes us up, Lord, and that draws us closer to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. I'm blessed to serve under a pastor at First Baptist who gets it. I mean, he truly gets it. I wanna give you a couple of uh, testimonial points on my behalf so you can learn more about me, but also what the Lord's been doing in my life in the past two months, which I could really talk about for like hours, um, but I've condensed it, right, for a couple minutes. Um, the testimony this past year has been crazy. I, I'm not the only one in this, right? But the deal with me and, and Blake, you would agree with this, is that we were told that we couldn't do our job, but that we still had to do our job. That's kind of how it came out, right? So we're relational people. Carrie, you know, meeting with people face-to-face for a while was just canceled, right? (laughs) And we couldn't do those things. And so it was tough. And I went and entered this job process at Decatur uh, just about two years ago, and the Lord was faithful in what he did. He did it, not me. I promise you there are some things that happened that I can't take credit for, for sure. But I was so consumed in the product of what the ministry was going to be that in the midst of growth, And an amazing season of fruition, we hit the wall when COVID hit because I realized, wow, over the 100 students that I come in contact with on a weekly basis, I have no clue what their names are. I don't even know where they live. I don't even know if they're in Decatur, if they're outside of Decatur. I don't know if they play any sports, if they don't, if they dance, what they love to do. I don't know whose brother is whose sister. As a student pastor, I didn't know about those couples, you know, the ones you got to watch out for. I had no clue about the context of our student ministry. And it killed me inside. So we sat down and I realized, God, this is a wake up moment for me. I understand I've been missing the point. So we emphasized grow. That was our word for this past summer, grow. 
We want to grow closer together as we grow closer to the Lord. Basically, what I was doing was putting really pretty language to the idea of discipleship. And man, did the Lord bless that. So a part of that, though, our church as a whole, we were uh, launching a campaign to raise $1.8 million, and then COVID hit, and the Lord still continued to bless his people. And honestly, because of sheer grace, we were able to meet budget and raise $1.8 million in the middle of COVID. And we, because of that, have new spaces, student areas, sanctuary upgrades, a brand new basketball gym. Like, it's crazy. The whole nine yards. It's unbelievable. Our student team grew closer. Like I said, discipleship became an essential part. We had so many first-time believers that made the decision, you know what, I want Christ. I'm going to be in for that. And at the end of the summer, church began to look forward toward the future. We were sitting down going, all right, we have this product. The Lord has blessed us with the opportunity to share the gospel. We have people in newfound faith. Now, what does it look like for the future? This was the statement that was made in this church that I hope was made in in the lives of every single body believer. We can't go back to doing what we did. I think if we as a church went back to doing what we were doing before COVID, we might have missed an opportunity. I know I did. As soon as the school year hit, hit, I was hitting the ground running there. I mean, four out of the five nights of the week, my wife did not see me when she woke up in the morning. I was in Cracker Barrel where the Holy Spirit moves and then sometimes I'd be in Waffle House and he goes there sometimes on Fridays. And so I was meeting all these students in the morning then I was playing basketball till like 10.30 at night and it was amazing. But the problem was, is I was doing so much that I became very, very dependent upon my ability. Just being frank with you for a second, I could have easily not prepared anything and probably got up here and winged it. Would it have been terrible? In comparison to some, yes. In comparison to some, no. I knew that. That was where I went wrong. I was dependent upon my ability and my skill to produce the very thing that God promised us only when we're dependent upon him. And when that realization hit, we realized that we can't program the work of the Lord. But let's prioritize it. If we can't program the work of the Lord, we can for sure prioritize it. So in that moment, the Lord shifted hearts in our church staff. We began to implement this discipleship pathway. We saw lives being changed. I could give you over and over multiple prayer requests that have been answered. But more importantly, we came to a point where because we need to be dependent upon the Lord, there's no other way to prioritize it but then through prayer. If we look through the history of the church, many of the the massive revival movements that's taken place has been because a very few amount of people devoted themselves to the act of praying. And it's special. We miss out on that. It's it's really God saying, hey, do you want a part in this divine act? Here it is. (laughs) The act of prayer brings about the things of God. And it's the foundation for all things. When we realized that, we implemented pre-service prayer groups that laid hands on our pastor redefining staff meetings that were not about agenda setting and calendaring, but more so what's going on in your life and your ministry. How can we pray for you and, and just come on behalf of the students and the adults that are sitting under you and pray for them? We had purposeful times of fasting and prayer that are continuing to this day. And people started to, listen to this, this is key, implement individual rhythms of prayer, not goals, but rhythms of prayer in their life. Here's some of the testimonies that have come because of these decisions that happened months ago. I can firmly say right now that out of the some students that I have in my student ministry, there are 30 who are being discipled weekly by an adult leader. Adults have been participating in discipleship for the first time ever. 
Our church has been begin implementing rhythms of prayer within not only within the service, but with everything we do, whatever we approach, any scenario, multiple stories of confession that has led to life transformation. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We've seen the dead come to life. I saw one man who had an affair not too long ago, or one man whose wife had an affair not too long ago and almost wrecked a marriage. God has completely restored that marriage. The dude is on fire. We had a prayer time last Saturday morning. I circled up with students and we were just praying over the student ministry. God, would you use the student ministry? And I, I felt the shoulders boom, budge in. And I looked and it was this dude who legitimately turned his life around like a month ago. And his prayer was the most powerful prayer. And it was because he understood that he was solely dependent upon God. Nothing we can do. Marriages have become stronger. Students are selling out and laying down addictions, practices, and honestly, church culture. And hearts have begun to prepare for rain. If we desire to see the Lord work in the unexplainable, there must be a call to obedience. I don't know if you desire that. My hope and prayer is that you do. But we must be faithful in the ordinary in order to experience the extraordinary. This is patterned in the Bible across the whole pages. Moses, after doing some dumb stuff in Egypt, obviously went out. He, he was just farming. He was just living out, keeping his head down. And the Lord approached him. And because he was faithful in his place and after he got past his insecurity was when God used a man who was submissive to his will and dependent upon the Lord to literally do the supernatural. Being faithful in the ordinary opens the door for the Lord to do the unexplainable and the extraordinary. I want to bring to you an Old Testament account of when God's people sought the Lord, one through prayer, but simply based upon dependence. Second Chronicles 15, if you're there, turn there. This is a simple and yet very profound story of one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories about when a people turn to God, what God can do. In chapter 15, Asa has just become king. There's been this cry to seek the Lord. And so all throughout this passage, we see the phrase, seek the Lord, or they sought the Lord about nine times. Asa is removing idolatry from the nation of Israel, and Asa is also declaring his people to return to faithfulness. And so we're seeing Asa just stand up and be bold about what is true, and it's that we can't do nothing without God. He's defeating armies because of his dependence upon God. He's removing idolatry because of his dependence upon God. The people's lives are returning to faithfulness and leaving their sinful pattern because they recognize that without God, none of that can happen. Second Chronicles 14.4, though, is going to set the stage. So look back one passage. In verse 4, it says, And, and commanded Judah, this is, this is Asa, to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Asa is challenging his people in this moment, before approaching chapter 15, to return to the Lord and keep his commandments. This is one of two key points in the story of Asa. We're going to see a victory in Asa's life in chapter 15. But I don't want you to think that that victory came in a moment. Sometimes we get, kid up, I mean, we get caught up in the moment, right? Not necessarily the movement. We mistake a movement for a moment. We mistake a moment for a movement. Asa has called his people back to his law and to keep the commandments, to return to faithfulness. Students, there's one thing I could tell you in my experience of college students, which it was not, it was two years ago, okay? I was in your shoes two years ago. It was this. Now is the time to legitimately build and create and make the faith that you own. You need to figure it out. 
The reason I'm saying this is because I feel like sometimes that we live in this, just, I mean, we're living in this, in this place spiritually where we're reaping the benefits of who the Lord is. But don't be mistaken. You might be sitting in the afterglow of the people who came before you. In this, in this part, we see Israel is returning and he's calling these people to return to this place. And, and, my, and my point here is that if we don't turn to the Lord and be utterly dependent upon his word above all things, we might lose the land that we have now. The people around you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ who are living in sin, the people who God have given you as an opportunity to serve and to love, we might miss the opportunity. I had a mentor say to me the other day, Listen, the Lord makes the appointments. It's your job just to show up and be there. I don't know about you, but I'm, <laughs> I, I, I long to take advantage of the things that God has given me, but I can't do that on my own. I have to return to the Lord. If you continue in verse 7 in chapter 14, he says this. And he said to Judah, <clears throat> Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. <clears throat> Asa plainly is attributing his success from seeking the Lord. Past faithfulness has been rewarded and has become their basis for further faithful action. Dr. Michael Catt out of Albany, Georgia, he says this, the only reason our land, and I reiterated this earlier, may not have been lost just yet is because we're living in the afterglow of the prayers of the generation before us that were for us and for this land. Here's the problem. As I look across culture in our church and the surrounding communities of, of faith, there's really just no burden for a movement of God. We sit in, we sit in these atmospheres. I mean, let's just be real for a second. We come to church, we come to Oxano, we go Sunday morning. But how many of us are on our face on a daily basis seeking a movement from the Lord and being dependent upon him for, to do something that is unexplainable? Whether that's salvation and a friend, a movement that sweeps your school off its feet, the Holy Spirit being released in this room and convicting the sins of the people that you're sitting by so much so that life is legitimately transformed and is vividly different Here's what I think why we don't necessarily have a burden for a movement of God. It's because we've come to the point where we think we can live without one. We think, hey, if I haven't been in the middle of a movement of God before and I'm doing this and we're fine and we're still holding church services and the doors aren't being forced closed shut yet and all these other things, like it's good. Like we, we might not, we're, we're thinking this and we're living this. <clears throat> we might not be saying this. But it's apparent in the lives of the church today that we might have just become okay with not having a burden for a movement of the Lord. Let me ask you this question. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? We had a North American mission board uh, partner who just moved from Brazil to plant a church in the U.S., uh, wake up call. You guys know this. I'm sure you're brilliant and smart. We have missionaries moving into our land from other countries. And I'm just fearful if it's because we as a church didn't have a burden for the people that were here in the first place. Truly. How is that going for us? Second Chronicles 15 
Starting in verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of a dead, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Azariah is a prophet, and I love how he walks up to Asa, this dude who has just had so many victories in his life. The Lord has worked miracles in his life. He's, he sold out for the Lord. But Azariah stands in front of his face and gives him a wake-up call. Listen, I know you got all these victories. I know things are going great. But you need to know this, that if you seek the Lord, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake the Lord, he will forsake you. Reality check. Asa, none of that was you. Just remember, none of that was you. But it was the God that we serve. There's an important part to this verse that is a key aspect to the storyline. And it's that the Spirit of God came upon him in reference to Azariah. Why do we neglect the presence of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I have to beg the question. I mean, would, would you guys even recognize if the Holy Spirit truly fell upon this place? Do you know what that's like? Do you know what that feels like? Can you recognize the presence of the Spirit in this place? We had a student a couple weeks ago, uh, we, we had this awesome just God moment where the Lord wrecked our service and it turned upside down. And so all the people that are programmatic and like schedules were also crying as well as the people who are being touched by the moment, right? And so the Spirit's moving in our student ministry and this girl walks up to my wife and my wife disciples her along with about four or five other girls on Thursday mornings. And she's new to our church, newer within the past year. And she sits down and she's just crying. And this is what she says, Caroline, I don't know why I'm crying. And I just feel so convicted, but I don't know why I'm crying, but I feel so convicted. And Caroline was like, honey, sweetie, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, welcome. You know what I'm saying? And for the first time, we got to go, this is what it's like. And on top of that, he backs it up with the assurance of your salvation. So the thing that you're convicted in is covered by nothing you did. So everything we were teaching and praying for came into fruition in that moment. It brought me so much joy. I mean, fired up to hear that story. When was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit and legitimately broken over your sinfulness? As Ace was coming off of a great, great victory, Azariah received, or extends this promise to Asa. The Lord is with you while you're with him, right? But if you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. But notice before the promise, there's a warning. If we forsake the Lord, he will forsake us. College students, okay, you're in a very formative time of your life. I mean, Lord knows that the kid who walked in this door to start working in this church needed help, as he does today, right? If you choose the desires of your heart and in your flesh, your passions, your addictions, your sport, your school, your team, your money, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your drug, your bent towards alcohol, your friend group, your identity you uphold on social media and you prize. If you choose those things, know this. God will not stand by you while you serve the gods of this world. He will not stand by you while you serve the gods of this world. In fact, he will let you know what it's like to live for them. And heed my warning, it ends in destruction. We've seen it over and over 
and over again. We've seen it in the lives of people who took the platform for the sake of Christianity over and over and over again who's fallen. I've seen it in mentors in my life who have been drudged in sin but never came and confessed it and dealt with it. They grazed over that area of their heart neglecting everything and every single part of repentance in that moment. And it ended in destruction. But here's the promise. Here's the promise for the person in this place just as the promise was for the person of Asa in his place. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you're with him, He will be with you and he will choose you. This is the decision that determines the beginning of an unexplainable movement of God. It's the transformation that is seen in the process of sanctification. I'm sure you heard this, but one of the life-changing idea or illustrations of what that looks like was given to me from Blake, and I I reference this all the time to staff people, and they look at me like, that's smart, and I'm like, it's not me. Sanctification, right? We got a sailboat, am I right? We got a sailboat. God desires to take us in the direction, but listen, at some point, we got to set the sails. But when we come to that point where we seek the Lord to move us for a movement, we must come to the point to be utterly dependent upon God. When Asa chose to seek the Lord, the Lord moved in a mighty way. Idols were destroyed. Relationships were were restored. The nation of Israel experienced a life-changing turn to the Lord. But Asa sought the Lord, church. And here's here's the deal. This is your chance to seek God right now. I don't know what you've come in here with, but I know this, that seeking the Lord is is a real call to action. I don't know if you're living in something that you feel like you haven't gained freedom from. I'm here to tell you that victory can be claimed. I don't know if you've been living and coasting in the everyday reading of your Bible for the sake of habitual practice, and you're not relying on that to actually change your life, but you can be free from that and actually experience transformation. I don't know if you just left a broken relationship of any sort, but you can be healed from that. I don't know what's going on in your home. I don't know what's going on in your classroom where you're retaining information that is contradictory to the things you study here in this room. But you can rest assured that God desires you. And if you seek the Lord, you will find him. And in that moment, the catalyst for God to use you as a vessel for his kingdom to be a part of the unexplainable movement is something I promise you you were first created to do in the beginning. And that's to dwell in his presence and enjoy him forever and ever. I wrote this in my notes, and I I think, I, I really do believe that the Lord laid this on my heart for somebody in this room. It's this. Some of you need to stop wishing you were seeking the Lord. I know for me there were times when I was like, I really want to be that guy that's seeking the Lord, but I, I don't know what it is. I really want to be that guy. And you have a desire. Some of you need to understand that it's, it's, it's here. You just have to seek him. It begins with having a hunger and seeking the Lord. Some of you are fooled by thinking that attending services and being a part of village and, and doing all of these things within your local and church hopping, right? Because we do that sometimes as college students. Some of you are fooled to believe that that is you seeking the Lord. Hear me out. There's a specific pattern across all of this passage and what we've noted tonight is it begins with prayer. The power of prayer is the beginning of the dependence upon the Lord. So here's my question to you. Who is bold enough to seek the Lord in full assurance 
that what he has in store for you is better than anything else. Who's bold enough to seek the Lord tonight? Listen, I would encourage you in this moment, you know what's next. We're going to meditate on the word and what the Lord has spoken to your heart, but I'm going to pray us out. But after that, I would strongly consider you and that in order to become a worshiper, you have to be a confessor. Lay things down and seek the Lord. His promise is true for you today that if you seek the Lord, you will find him. He will choose you. And you'll be a part of the unexplainable first in your own life. I mean, you'll be brought from dead to life. Hello? That's unexplainable. But even so more in the life that he has for you to live. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much, God. I thank you for the ability to rest in the blessing of having the word at our hands. God, in your word, you speak truth. And the truth of that matter is that you first love us so desperately that you chose somebody like me. God, you chose a college kid who was in this room as an 18-year-old and had no clue what was going on in the realm of your will. And you invited me to that table with no reservation. And Lord, in the times that I neglected to seek you were the times that you were not found when I needed you the most. But the, Lord, God, the grace, God, that you extended when I searched for you. It's according to your scripture in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that our body is a temple and God's spirit dwells within us. God, that's true. You've made me alive in Christ. And that alone is unexplainable and extraordinary. God, I pray for these students that they would feel the same thing. Lord, I pray for your spirit to fall in this room in this moment, that you would begin convicting the hearts of the students that are in this room and let them know that when they bend their knees and look up to you in the moment of prayer and when they become dependent upon you for anything in their life, God, any healing, the mending of brokenness, the guidance, the clarity, the insight, that you would remind them that you're there as you fulfill your promise of being present in our lives when we seek you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.